So today I thought I'd touch on some what are sometimes called two different forms of compassion. And they're given the kind of abstract terms, um, absolute and relative. And we'll talk about that. This is somewhat based more in the Zen tradition. Um, I think you'll see the, the link. So absolute compassion is very profound. It arises from a deep understanding of interconnection, essentially. So we understand that everybody suffers, that there is no isolation of a given person or situation that everything is dependent on the conditions that support it. It must be there when the conditions for it are there, and it can't be there when the conditions for it are not there. It really is that simple. Um, And so when we touch into this, and this is deep wisdom, but when we touch into this and really feel what that means, then what arises is an understanding that it doesn't make any sense to live in any way that isn't kind and compassionate, that isn't somehow connected to ending suffering for ourselves and for others. It also has the sense that as the mind becomes more selfless, which is to say wiser and more free, then there's less and less difference between my suffering, quote-unquote, and somebody else's suffering. There's just less difference between them. And so it becomes natural to work for the welfare of all, to balance caring for everyone who is there. Interestingly, this kind of compassion is also fueled by the understanding that because nothing is really separate, there aren't really beings. And so, you know, who would be suffering really? And yet, compassion is the only response that makes sense. So that can be, you know, I deliberately mentioned this first, even though it can be a little confusing. We'll see why later. So relative compassion is this, this actual world that we live in, the actual people in our lives, the actual beings that we encounter in the situations that we find ourselves in. Oh, this, this relationship is where compassion is needed. This feeling arising in my mind is suffering, and this is what needs attending to. Sometimes we can get a little lost in the absolute dimension, loving all beings while sitting on our cushion, feeling this incredible expansion of heart, and then we get up off the cushion and we can't believe that the person in front of us you know, left their tissue there. Oh my God, isn't that horrible? Wait a minute, (laughs) this is 
this is the thing, this is the real world. Um, so all that love for other beings uh, doesn't count for much if we can't actually love this being who's right in front of us. So that's the challenge. Relative compassion is very difficult because we really have to do it for all those people that we really are kind of annoyed by and all those people that feel like they're getting in our way and shouldn't be doing what they're doing and are the ones who are causing all the problems in the world. Yeah, it means them too. So it's not easy work. But it's necessary work. My teacher used to say, uh, if you're only free when you're comfortable, you're not really free. Kind of true, huh? So, so relative compassion is this very nitty-gritty, day-to-day, moment-to-moment kind of work that we do in softening, opening, or sometimes adding strength, adding action to help in some way. There's a story about um, a big, there's a big storm and a bunch of clams wash up on the beach. Thousands and thousands of clams, actually. It was just that the conditions were perfect. They were all there and then the storm came in and, they, and then the storm goes out and they all get stranded on the beach. And, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna die eventually out in the sun. Clams can't really walk. And so, there's a person walking along the beach and sees this and starts picking up the clams and throwing them back in the ocean one by one. And another person sees this happening and comes up and says, why are you bothering? There's so many, so many clams. It doesn't really matter to, to throw back a few of them. And the the person throwing clams says, it matters to this one. <laughs> so this is the work of relative compassion. You know, it matters to this one, it matters to this moment. And sure, you can say, well, it's not like you're going to extinguish all the suffering in the world. You get to the end of your life and look back, did you even make a dent? It doesn't matter. It mattered to all those people that you touched. (coughs) And so really seeing that, and this is the reality of relative compassion, is it's a really small dent in the vast field of suffering that we're capable of with this little body. It's really about this particular life. And it's not going to be done by the end of our life. There's a saying from the Christian tradition, I think, that says something about what God would say. It says, um, you do not have to finish the work, but neither are you free from abdicating it. And so the, the challenge of relative compassion is, is if we really open to that, which inevitably we will as we become more and more open, like what can sustain that? And the answer is absolute compassion is what sustains the ability to keep going in this very mundane, day-to-day, nitty-gritty kind of 
work of opening the heart. And so now and then it's useful to touch back into the expansion of the heart, the vastness of the mind, the sky-like, ocean-like quality that we can tap into even from our limited body, our limited smaller mind. And from there, the work of relative compassion is the only work, and we love to do it. We would joyfully save beings all day, every day, for our whole life, fueled by that kind of energy. And not fueled by it, there's the risk of burning. <coughs> so in that sense, the development of wisdom, sitting on the cushion, spending an hour sitting here when you could have spent an hour helping people, is actually doing even more, right? Helping to tap into something vaster, something broader, that then fuels the relative work, the nitty-gritty work. We talked in the guided meditation about strong back, soft front, the strong back that helps us be with the suffering, equanimity, fueled by this larger picture and the soft front of <coughs> that faces the real world that can open to the suffering that's right in front of us or within us in our own heart. Joan Halifax points out that one thing we can discover through practice sometimes is that our strength is actually coming from the tightness of fear, the grip of fear through our spine, maybe tightening our belly. That's what we think is making us strong. But down underneath, it's fueled by terror, don't let me die, or whatever our deeper fears are. And that, you know, this is a certain amount of strength. We can power through for a while. But it's a little bit brittle, isn't it? And there are conditions under which that can be pushed against and seen not to be as strong as it, as it feels. And we don't always know which areas we have the genuine strength and which ones it's a little brittle. You get a better sense of that over time through practice. But mindfulness will help root that out. And that's part of our inner relative compassion work is to heal those places that are being held by false strength and replace it with true strength. In between those two, it can get a little interesting. But that's the movement from false strength to true strength. So if the meditation was meaningful, you might find it interesting to consider those simple phrases, strong back, soft front, 
kind of viscerally true in meditation. And we can train ourselves to even have those physical feelings during interactions, during times when we need to bring our energy forth to be with those situations that call for the relative compassion. Those are my thoughts this morning on two different forms of compassion. And I would ask if anyone wants to share any experience from the meditation, or thoughts on two different kinds, or your own definition of compassion, what's meaningful to you about it. started with the 200 pound weight which is you know usually when weight training we start with the smaller weights <laughs> so I don't know if your mind is abstract as easily as mine does which is a strength and a weakness but um, there are situations where somebody is doing something that's not quite so destructive as suicide bombing um, you know they're causing conflict at work by the way they're conducting themselves or something. And it's sometimes possible to see in that that a person doing that is, of course, making things difficult for others, and they're doing it, making things difficult for themselves too. 
And so the question, the, the sense is then there must be some suffering there, some ignorance that's shielding their ability to see all of that. And then it's possible to think, wow, what a painful mind to live in. That really must be difficult because they live in it 24-7 and I just run into them at work. <laughs> um, so sometimes through starting to cultivate and then we start to see then where, where it's more manageable at that level we can start to tease out the parts that really are compassionate like wow that must be a painful mind from the parts that are a little bit arrogant like and I'm glad I don't have a mind like that you know or and I'm superior because I can see that your mind is doing that you know something like that so we start to you know as we actually open in situations where it's possible to open because you know, the stakes on this high, then um, we can start to refine our sense of what compassion really feels like inside and then take on bigger weights and be able to discern through that which parts are the genuine compassion and which parts are the reaction. And it goes like that. I don't know if that helps. But the question you asked was, how can I get there? And so I laid out a possible path. Yes. Is there more? It's it's a work in progress. Yeah, (laughs) it is. Because I don't particularly care for the feeling in myself. That can be a place to start too. Is your own suffering around? (coughs) How do I feel about the fact that? I have this anger, which isn't affecting that other person at all. Correct. It's affecting you first. Yeah. So that's another path, is to work on that. You know, what if you just wanted yourself to not feel contraction around the hatred of another person? If you work there, that goes pretty far too. So do you think maybe compassion practice like meta practice might be for self? Absolutely, you can make compassion for self. A, a helpful yeah. entrance to that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's hard to have really genuine love or compassion for others unless we have it for ourselves also, and vice versa. It's hard to have it completely for ourselves if we don't love anyone else. Yeah, I had it's kind of a different question, but um, the talk you were talking about the two kinds of compassion, and um, it made me think of uh, uh, bodhisattvas, uh, which is not particularly our tradition, but you know they're they're all about compassion, my understanding. And I'm just wondering if you have a um, some knowledge about how their way of being in the world relates to. Uh, this absolute compassion, this relative compassion. Yeah. So John Halifax is from the Zen tradition. And I put the caveat at the beginning that this is from a different tradition. So, um, yeah, so these terms are used um, in Bodhisattva (coughs) practice. And the... um, It's pretty much as I laid it out. The absolute compassion is the... You know, the opening to emptiness. Mm. There are no beings. It's all empty of self 
And so, even more challenging, that means it's technically empty of suffering. There's no one to suffer. This is a vast and, you know, not easy thing to arrive at. We arrive at it in little pieces. The spell, probably not so, you know, maybe anger, etc. So we, you know, sort of work through understanding the emptiness of things. But then there's living in the world. You know, we have the body, we have to take care of it, we have to live in the world. And so, in that sense, there are beings. And for them, um, the only way it makes sense to relate to them is in a non-conflictual way, because it would be harmful to relate to them with any kind of constriction, and it would constrict us too, because we're not separate. We can't sit in a castle and hate, (laughs) because it's not really a castle. It comes here first. There's no castle. (laughs) Yes, you know, there is, because we create it out of suffering. And so that's the work can be approached from both sides, from the outside in, from the inside out. Passion is um, it's likened to reaching back in the middle of the <coughs> night for the pillow and putting it under your head. It's so natural. You know, you do this without even thinking, right? He says that's what it's like. So you're walking along the street, you see someone who needs to unload. Why wouldn't you just do it? It's a beautiful thought. Thank you for sharing.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.